Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech Asia Pacific series. As in Voice of Fintech podcast so far, here you will hear inspirational stories of entrepreneurs, corporate innovators, investors, ecosystem hub leaders from or close to the world of fintech. Asia Pacific series will be hosted by amazing hosts based in the region, speaking to the leaders from Asia Pacific. Here's the first one hosted by Angela. Hi, I'm Angela, co-founder and CEO of Notarum, and today I am hosting the Voice of Fintech Asia-Pacific podcast. We are speaking with Neil Cross, a man who needs no introduction, as he is a stalwart of the financial innovation scene. He is currently co-founder and chairman of Picture Wealth, one of the world's fastest-growing wealth fintech companies. Previously, he has served in innovation roles with some of the world's biggest brands, including Microsoft and Mastercard, and his most recent role at DBS Bank saw both DBS and Neil himself winning numerous awards, including the world's most disruptive CIO or CTO, and all without wearing a suit or tie. Welcome, Neil, and thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you. I, I just like the great introduction, by the way. I just would like to add, I, I think when I first started at DBS, I did wear a suit and a tie, but not for very long. I went to shorts pretty much within months. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you for that for the clarification there, Neil. It's nice to know there's um, some sort of casual kind of emphasis on on rather productivity rather than our, the way people look at, it, at work. I think that's a really nice transition. And it's probably led you well into where we are quite now, which is our working from home and a little bit more casual these days, I guess. Uh, well, I, we, we're in WA, our office is open. I'm determined to get through the winter by wearing shorts. It's um, winter here is fairly mild and our customers are coming into the office. So uh, we've been very, very grateful here that the COVID has been fairly minor where, you know, my hotels in Indonesia are now closed and my family in the UK are, you know, still under a bit of lockdown. So uh, we're very lucky here. Well, good to hear you found a, uh, some greener pastures then. Um, well, let's have a quick chatter. So your Picture Wealth is your current project. Uh, it's been described as financial happiness at your fingertips. And so I'm very keen to hear more about this project that you've been working on. Yes, thank you. It's been, it's been a labor of love for being a good friend of mine, uh, David Pettit, who's the co-founder and CEO. And, you know, we looked at what's happening in the wealth space and, and, and just generally in finance. And one of my frustrations is that the organizations inside a country who really know the most about finance can be the organizations who are less likely to educate their customers. And that tends to be banks here. Um, you know, did you hear about that bank that, you know, rang up a customer and said to them, hey, look, your credit card's out of control and it's at 18%, but your mortgage is only at 3%. Um, what we're going to do, we're going to move your debt from your credit card to your mortgage, because and we need you to come into the branch and talk to us, and we can teach you how to manage your money better, said no bank ever. And so <laughs> what we wanted to do is, you know, because we, we have, I know, you were thinking, which bank is that? That can't be any bank I know. <laughs> yeah, I was like, sign me up. <laughs> no, no, no bank. So, you know, we've got a good moral compass. We, we, we've got a profitable business. We've got, you know, uh, and so we've got a free digital tool that helps people manage their money better. And there's, you know, it's a, it's, it, it could go, go all the way from very simplistic just transaction analysis all the way up to seeing all your different superannuation, your pension balances, your investments, your insurances, 
your cryptocurrency, your artwork, your vehicles, your homes, and all that kind, and your family as well. And uh, and so we give that away for free. On top of that, we hope. Um, you know, my philosophy is I, I want I want to earn the right to sell my customer a product. Yeah, and I know that goes contra to you know the the. I'm a leading, I'm sure, uh, thinkers around the world. But and so I think if I give them something free, if I give transparency and and demonstrate, you know, our credibility, then we get customers then who um, speak to one of our financial advisors and we help them um, build a financial plan and uh, you know and give them an investment and a retirement strategy as well. So that's what we do. We're growing incredibly quickly. Excellent. That's a really fresh perspective from the financial services industry. Uh, you've also coined this phrase wealthy or the wealth selfie. So is that more of the holistic kind of view that you're looking to put on these uh, on a person's kind of assets? That's right. So it's called we call picture wealth because for the first time you can get a single picture of all your wealth. So we're much more than just a PFM. We reach into we have lots of connections to about 22,000 financial organizations and you can get that single view. And that's what we call the, the wealthy with a single picture. So you have all your assets, your liabilities, your insurances, and um, your budgets, your transactions, your cards. You know everything's contained in one single screen. And the idea is, it's for the first time people are starting to. You know, the trouble is a lot of people don't engage with their money, or don't have a, a conversation with their money, and that's what we're trying to bring. Bring it into a single picture, and from that, understand your position, set some goals, and let's see how we can. You know, give you a certain level of free advice that will help you get to a level of financial happiness. And then if you want more, you know, regulated and a dedicated financial advisor, then we can help with that as well. Excellent. Well, I'm sold. So which uh, countries is this available in at the moment? And what's your kind of roadmap? This is available in all the countries inside of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> so basically Australia. Yeah. Um, we started in Australia. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's a big, big Australia is a big country. Sure is. Um, we started in Australia. Actually, Australia's got the second largest pension pool on the planet. So weirdly enough, because of the compulsory superannuation pensions, your employer has to pay 9.5% of your salary. And you get to manage it as an individual, unlike some countries like Singapore, where the government manages in it. It means it's the second largest, about three trillion Australian dollars is the size of the market here. And so for wealth, it's one of the best markets in the world. That's that's uh, firstly, we are now opening up offices in Sydney. So we started in Perth. We've got offices in Adelaide, Sydney now, Melbourne's coming online. So we're getting all around the country. And then we're, in, we're planning our Asia expansion. So Australia for now. And we're regulated. We have a AFSL license. We we acquired a financial services licensee, and so we're licensed to operate in Australia, and we'll be expanding to Asia this year. So watch this space. Excellent, excellent. Very exciting times ahead for Picture Wealth. Uh, so Neil, with your background, you would have seen every single gap or issue in the current financial services industry. Why did you focus on this specific area? Um, there's a lot of you know, if you think about what's happening with startups and fintechs currently. There's a lot of business models which which are getting funded, which you know I don't think will ever make money. And um, we're starting to see those the realization come to pass. Some of those are the direct to robo models that unless you literally get up to a hundred billion or so, or even more in funds under management, they don't seem to be profitable. And so we saw when we had the pandemic first hit, we saw a lot of those businesses shrink or, or dry up. With us, we went after 
uh, an area which has been historically quite complex because you need humans, yes. You think about wealth. People think wealth's about robo and ETFs and pie charts. No, it isn't. That's a very small part of wealth. And those systems tend to get very low balances, even though they get a lot of clients. And the margins are ever shrinking. Uh, and so um, it's really been taken over by the big guys um, in that regard. But if you think about wealth, for me, I, I like to simplify things in innovation. And wealth is about dealing with people's hopes and fears. That is it, yeah? That really speaks to the world that we're currently living in, I think, which is great. So it's nice to know there's tools on the market to really help us with that. Um, so just bringing back to this idea of innovation you just, just raised, you've worked in and around tech for years. What are the big mistakes you see people or institutions making when they really embark on their digital transformation journey? Oh, geez, where do I start? Um, <laughs> I mean, to, to just solve a problem. Yeah, It's like... <laughs> I know I've got a very successful advisory business. Kind of, I get called called in a lot to kind of rejig um, people's strategy. Um, so, just ask the first question: Why are you doing it? That, I mean, that for me, and mm -hmm. anything you're doing, why? And you'd be amazed the amount of times that 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 question can't be answered. Why are you spending twenty million dollars on this transformation? And, it, you know, they kind of talk around, we have to do it, and it's, you know, blah, and we need the tech. But at the end of the day, digital disruption was not caused by technology, okay? That was not caused by technology. And, and just like car crashes aren't caused by cars, they're, you know, the people driving badly, people drunk, bad conditions, blah, 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 and the same thing. What caused digital disruption was someone solving your customer's problem better than you, yeah? And so they solved, all your customers have problems, believe it or not. And the problems could be, I need to protect my family. So I buy insurance. The problem could be, you know, I need to solve my transport issue. So you get a car loan. The problem could be, you know, I want my kids to have a great education. So I get an investment fund. And so if someone comes in and solves those problems better than you, that's when you've been digitally disrupted. And so you've really got to think, one, why are you even starting a digital disruption problem? To what problems are you solving for your customers? Are you sure you understand what business you're in? Yeah. And so that's the first, first thing I would say. So it really sounds like a question of just the fundamentals, a question of why are you doing this from the beginning, which you know, seem, would seem like something that really is a, a pretty obvious, but not so much. So it's something to think about. There's, there's two types of fintechs, those that are hoping to enable transformation of the traditional banking sector and those that are kind of more hoping to disrupt it. Where does Picture Wealth sit on the spectrum? Uh, we, we, another one, we, we just we want to improve it. Um, and so if you look at, you know, a lot of fintechs initially came out and went direct B to C. So they want to go out and own the client. They realized that the cost of client acquisition is incredibly high, you know, regulations expensive, compliance is expensive. So they look to partner and, you know, take the technology they built, which was originally B to C and turn it to B to B to C, sell it to banks. Um, we've been approached by a lot of banks. That's not our, our business model. We're very much about um, owning the client. I wouldn't say we're disrupting at all. We're just, we're a hybrid model. So basically, uh, so your last question as well, the biggest problem, I, the second biggest problem I see with digital disruption and digital transformation is people are not putting the robots or the humans in the right place. And I mean robots as software, data, technology, and humans as we know what humans are. Um, and so, you know, we're either getting humans to do robots job or robots to do humans job. You know, humans are great at building empathy, trust, uh, kind of lots of variation and, you know, insight, this kind of stuff. 
And robots are very good at collation of huge data sets. It's about giving nudges, um, you know, massive, cheap engagement and distribution. And, and so that's where we fit. We've took, we looked at the model. We thought, actually, we can take a lot of cost out of this and return that back to the customer. At the same time, um, we can add in a lot of technology. So we've built a two-sided technology platform, one for customers to manage their money better. And the other side is to help financial planners and financial advisors manage their business better. And so what we're doing is we're, we're acquiring businesses. We've done 15 acquisitions in 18 months, and we're digitally transforming them on the fly. So I wouldn't say we're disrupting. I wouldn't say we are, we're certainly not selling our technology to you know third parties. Um, we're improving the industry. Excellent. Great to hear there's a third option, which is really nice. Uh, so what sort of advice would you have for startups that are really hoping to crack that golden egg and partner with traditional financial institutions? You know, what problem are you solving? That's the thing. Um, I used to get this a lot when they come talk to me at the bank. You've got to work out the problem you're solving. And this is the trouble with a lot of blockchain solutions. Is it an expensive problem? Uh, is it something that a small player can, one, can fix? And, and secondly, is there enough money there that it makes sense? The cost of change is very high. So I used to have lots of conversations. People saying, hey, Neil, you know, we could replace this system with blockchain. I'm like, oh, good. You know, I quite like blockchain. You know, nice technology, blah, blah, blah. You know, how much will we save? And they go, oh, yeah, well, every year you'll save a million dollars. I'm like, oh, that's great, because to rip out this system and replace it with yours will cost $15 million. <laughs> so right. <laughs> I have to wait for a 15 year to get an ROI. No, we don't want to. And, and so really understanding that and understanding what you're good at, what you're not good at, and what they care about. And so it's a two-sided family. Usually you get fintechs complain that banks are slow, they don't understand innovation, they're, you know, they're scared or they just try and copy their ideas. And at the same time, banks say that, you know, fintechs have very, you know, don't have a lot of code in their product. They're quite simplistic. That it's not secure. And the, you know, the, the, the founders are not mature enough to or compliant enough um, to work with. And so, you know, if, if you're a fintech, you've got to really learn the art of corporate sales. I mean, I ran Microsoft's, you know, sales business for Asia for um, a number of years. That was a billion-dollar sales business to banks, insurance, and cap markets here. I learned a few tricks on how to sell to senior execs. So if, if you're a young startup and you're selling to banks, hire someone who's good at that, yeah? And you may think salespeople, good salespeople are never expensive, as in they cost a lot of money, but they'll make you a lot of money. And the amount of times I've sat in a room and I've told startups, look, for God's sake, go find someone who's mature, who really understands how to engage executives and how to pitch big ideas and close big deals. Excellent. Bridging that gap, I think, is one of the areas that startups would struggle with the most. So that's some really, really useful advice, I think. So I guess just drawing on your wisdom, you're sort of starting what we're calling a startup, but it's obviously progressing very quickly and you have some battle experience. What was something you wish you had known 15 years ago? The price of Apple stock. <laughs> <laughs> don't we all, don't we all? <laughs> Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Oh, the price of Bitcoin actually, but that wasn't fifteen. That was um, block uh, Bitcoin's been about eleven years or so. But um, the fifteen years ago for help with picture wealth, I think um, geez, it's such a long time ago. Fifteen years ago, True. geez, that was before I kind of moved to Australia. Um, I think. Well, what's what's a key piece of advice you give someone starting out in their business? Oh, oh, that's easy. Just uh, delegate as quickly as you can. 
and you don't have to own everything. So I love this quote from, it, apparently it's a true one, Albert Einstein on the release of his book, Theory of Relativity, the day before he's been interviewed by a British journalist, said, Albert, how many copies of your book do you have to sell to be successful? He said, oh, that's easy, just one. The journalist said, oh, sorry, Albert, I think, uh, did I understand you? You know, you need to sell lots of copies to be successful. How many? And he said, oh, just one. I just need to sell one book to Max Planck. Max Planck's a famous physicist. He'll tell everyone, and then I'll be successful. And so, you know, I always like those strategies. Be very smart. More like, a, you know, if you, I play a lot of computer games. Every day I play games. I used to be a games developer when I was a young kid. And, you know, it's, it's the difference in using the sniper rifle and the shotgun. And if you're a small business, um, rather than going out and just spraying, like emailing everyone, you know, spamming executive, blah, 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 just be very thoughtful, very smart. And and you've only got so much execution capability in a day and funding. And just pick pick your targets. Find that one book to sell to someone important that will make your life successful. Look for a distribution partner. For me, the whole of FinTech now is just, down to two things, data distribution, pretty much. That's a really good point because there's a whole ecosystem that has been built up around startups in terms of innovation hubs and advisory boards and all sorts of things. So how do you pick a good one from a bad one? Now, that, um, there's a, I, I call it the milking industry. And so there's an entire, um, some of it, you've got to decide which people are in it with the right moral compass and who's part of the milking industry. So who's there milking startups, aggressively getting charging them for pitch days never pay for a pitch day yeah that's rule number one who take equity too much equity for accelerators and this kind of stuff you know the the global brands are pretty good at this you know the 500 starts plug and play you know all, all those kind of guys in australia there's a huge amount of people feeding off the startup industry and so my guidance is you know don't pay to play don't pay to pitch that's fundamentally wrong try and get you know, the kind of talk to some of the global players in, in fintech, have a look at who's gone through their portfolio and when, have a look at how much they charge and what they own of your business and what return you get. I mean, you, you and decide what problem you're solving. And so if your problem is you need, you know, growth mentoring, then actually probably an, a late stage growth accelerator could make sense for you. And if you only had to give away, say, 5% of your equity, and maybe that's the three to six month, kind of makes sense. I've seen startups go through four or five accelerators, and they've given away almost half their company already. Uh, that's not what to do. Just be very specific around what you need today to grow your business. Um, in the short term, and how can part of that ecosystem and just be very cautious. I would say, oh, about 80% of engagements I've had around the industry where people have approached me as a startup and probably haven't read my profile, in fairness, I was very wary of. And they tend to be about them, you know, making money off the startup community. You know, there's a lot of pe good people out there. Usually corporates are quite good. In fairness, because a lot of them are doing, might do it for PR. They might do it for new partnerships. They've got lots of money. They're not gonna, they're not there to monetize you as much as dedicated companies whose entire revenue stream. I mean, I always say a tip for any situation, follow the money. How is the partner you're working with making money? Excellent advice. Thank you. Uh, so it's clear you have a real passion for startups um, and for innovation, but I'd like to talk about your other great passion, which is conservation. 
Uh, tell us a little bit about your conservation projects you've been working on. Uh, so I, I spent uh, the weekends while I was at DBS Bank and, and my entire salary, actually, building a hotel in the Sumatran jungle with the orangutans. And the idea with that was to create somewhere to bring wealthier people and families with a level of comfort into the jungle and fall in love with the Sumatran orangutans and have that as a, a base to help support a lot of the local um, charities and initiatives there. So I designed the hotel myself. I, I spent most of my life, I built, you know, websites, um, you know, bank systems. I've built um, computer games. I've built a lot of software. And, you know, software doesn't last forever, that's for sure. And I wanted to do some physical design. And I thought the only way I'm going to get a job as an architect is if I do it myself as well. So I, I fell in love with the people in this village in the jungle, fell in love with the orangutans, thought, actually, I want to do something. So I ended up building a very successful social enterprise hotel. And um, and then we take the profits from that and um, feed the poor of the village and give education and uh, other stuff and education and training. And we've done the same. We bought an endangered coral reef off an island up in the north of Sumatra. And we're there protecting the reef and having that as a no fish zone as well. So I built and designed these, these properties. I'm massively passionate about, you know, all you've got to do is make more money for people doing good things than bad things. Absolutely. That is it. An NGO should be focused on that because then, then stuff really changes. So they make more money you know, doing orangutan trekking than they do poaching. They make more money, you know, doing, um, you know, diving trips than they do, you know, killing the fish on the reef. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's, you know, hotelorangutan.com is, is the orangutan project. Have a look yourself. Thank you. I've actually uh, stayed at the Hotel Orangutan a couple of years ago when I was uh, visiting your beautiful part of the world over there. And this, the theory about falling in love when you see the orangutans in the wild is just such a special experience. Uh, it's quite something, isn't it, when you look in their eyes and you see that they're human. Absolutely. They're definitely human. And they just they move through the jungle so peacefully. It's just it's incredible to see. And then you do this really fun uh, rafting down the river on the way back to the hotel, so you only have to walk up the mountain one way, which I'm personally <laughs> a big fan of. Uh, that's right, with the car tyres. They tie the car tyres together down. Yeah, I love it there. It's a shame it's closed at the moment. So I've had to do a charity fundraiser because the village has no money. And so the borders are closed. There's no tourist. Um, and so um, it, it's pretty tough for them at the moment, but we're, we're helping them get through. So hopefully tourism will open up again. Okay, how do we uh, get involved in the fundraiser? What, what are the details for that? Um, so if you go to Facebook, Hotel Orangutan, on Facebook, it's pinned as the top post there, and it's got a GoFundMe, and you can click on that. And uh, even if it's just twenty dollars, it's going to feed someone for a week out in the village. Excellent, excellent. Okay, thank you very much. Well, that's all we have time for today, Neil. I just wanted to say a big thank you for for joining us for the podcast. Uh, for those listening at home, Neil Cross from Picture Wealth, innovation expert and conservation passionate person. So, thank you very much for your time, Neil, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Really appreciated it. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.